Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. Amen. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, I titled the message this morning, The Only Way to Heaven. The Only Way to Heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, you have spoken to us through your word. It's the way that we can know most clearly your will for our lives. And Lord, we know that you will speak to us out of it. And I pray, God, that as we hear your word today from John chapter 14, I pray that our hearts would be prepared, like a prepared soil, ready to receive the seed of your word, the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And we know that it will produce a a harvest of righteousness. And I just pray that it would be true of every single person here uh, that's under the sound of my voice this morning. And we just pray that you would do your work. And I pray this morning, especially that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So children's, children's books, children's movies and shows. How many of you have children that you read books to? They're children's books. And you have children that watch shows and movies. Um, my son, Lincoln, and he knows the distinction between a show and a movie. He only likes shows and not movies because movies have drama in them. And so he can't stand the drama. He gets nervous and scared with the drama. Uh, so shows and movies. But uh, kids' shows and movies and books, they, they, what they do is, a lot of the shows, you'll see profound messages that are being communicated in very simple ways, in very simple terms. But they're profound truths, profound realities. I thought about one kid's movie that did that. Uh, How many of you saw any of the Toy Story movies? Um, We had Toy Story 1, 2, 3, 4. I believe they have a 5 coming out. They're going to get Tim Allen to to come back and do a good old-school Toy Story, right? And, uh, and so Toy Story, if, if you followed any of the Toy Story movies, there were some profound messages being communicated, but in a very simple way. Here, here's just kind of three of them that I thought of. Uh, the value of friendships. It's a very deep, important message in our life that we would understand the value of friendships. What about this one? The need for belonging. Think, think back to Toy Story. Do you remember uh, underneath Andy's, uh, underneath... Um, Woody's boot. What was underneath his boot? Andy. Andy was his owner. The need for belonging. Here's another message. Uh, The pain of betrayal. Woody Woody turned his back on on the toys and and Buzz felt betrayed. So these are really deep messages that are built into into Toy Story, into kids' movies and shows, and and they're profound messages. And in the text we're going to say, that we're going to look at today in John 14, in that same way, our text is communicating the most profound reality or truth that anyone can come to understand. Yet, just like in children's movies and books, it is so simple to understand. It's not nuanced. It's not complex. It's not, uh, it, you shouldn't be confused after, after you hear it, after you even just hear me read John 14, the section I'm going to read. It is the most profound truth that any human being can ever hear about Jesus. Yet it is the most simple reality to comprehend. 
And this is what we're going to see. And I, I, love, I love what Jesus says about children. There, was, there, there were some disciples that were around Jesus and, and, and some families in the crowd to bring their kids and want, and want kids to come up to Jesus and to have him lay his hands and bring, bring a blessing on the kids. And the disciples were saying, no, 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 stop the children from coming to Jesus. And what did, what did Jesus say? He said, no, 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 do not prevent them for such is the kingdom of heaven. Look at Matthew 18. He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's profound. Why? Because the gospel is simple. It is, a prof- it is profound enough, but it is yet profound enough to ponder its depth for a lifetime. Yet it is simple enough that a child can believe with, a simplici- and with simplicity of heart and be born again. That's the gospel. So let's look at our text. A straightforward question that we're going to see from Thomas, and a simple, clear, and straightforward answer from our Lord. John 14, verses 3 through 7. Let's look at the text. And if I go, prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know, the, we, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So I see three clear declarations from Christ about who he is. And then we we will see a statement that has been the sword of division that our Lord has brought. And it's been a sword of division since the birth of the church, since these words were said, it's been a sort of division in people's lives. So three clear declarations by Christ about who he is, and then the statement that separates and divides all of humanity. So let's, let's look at the first clear declaration about who Christ is, about what he says about himself. The first one we see is very clearly Jesus is the way to reconciliation with the Father. Look, look, back, look back at what we read. Jesus is the way to reconciliation with the Father. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. You don't, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't, we don't know the destination. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I'm the way. So Thomas, Thomas, you know, Thomas doesn't get a lot of good press in the Bible, does he? He doesn't get a lot of good press. But I think Thomas here... Just like I think there's bad press about him after the resurrection. I think this is kind of some bad press here. I, I think he is saying what all of us would say. He, Jesus said he's going away. And Jesus says, you know, which, to the way, you, you know which way I'm going. He's like, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We're confused. You, you speak in riddles all the time. We, 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 don't know, we don't know what you're saying. We don't understand it. We don't know where you're going. We don't know your destination that you're talking about. And certainly because we don't know your destination, we don't know the way. It's a very practical question. How can we know the way? We, we don't know the destination. And Jesus is saying, what he's saying is, he says, you really do know the way to where I'm going. And I think this is what he's saying. You really do know the way. You just don't realize it yet. You just don't realize it. You really do know the way, but you don't realize that you know the way. And Thomas answers it in a way that I think all of us would have answered. I think it's kind of like this. This is kind of maybe, this is bring it home for us. How can we know what to put in Google Maps if you don't tell us the destination? That's kind of what Thomas is saying right here. 
We all use Google Maps, don't we? How, how, how can we know what to put in Google Maps if you don't tell us the address? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? If you would just tell us the destination, we'd break out our Rand McNally map, and, and, and we would get to where you say you're going. It's very, it's very practical, right? What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, Thomas, Thomas, look, I am the way. And ultimately, I'm the destination. I'm the destination and I'm the way. I'm the point. And this is the sixth I am statement of Jesus. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's saying, I am the way. And how often would Jesus be communicating spiritual truths, but the disciples are thinking about practical things. And this is what we see here. He's, they're just thinking practical, destination. I don't know how to get to where you're going because I don't know where you're going. But what Jesus is saying here is simple and it's clear. And yet these earthly-minded disciples are having a hard time figuring it out in this moment. And Jesus is saying, in essence, I think what he's saying is this, I'm the way to heaven. The destination Jesus was going to, we heard it earlier last week, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I wouldn't tell you I was going. He keeps his promises. He's not a man that he should lie. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are, are many uh, uh, rooms or apartments, and, and, and I, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's saying he's going to his father. He's going to heaven. And Jesus is looking at a confused disciple in Thomas and the other disciples, and he's saying, you, you are confused about the destination, but I'm telling you, you may not know the destination. You haven't figured it out yet, but I am the way to where I am going. I'm the way to heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. This is a profound truth when he says, I am the way. I am the way to heaven. I am going to prepare a place for you, and I'll bring you to myself. So Jesus is saying, in short, that the way to the place he is preparing is himself. The way to the place that he is preparing is himself. Do you guys get that? Again, it's profound, but it's simple, is it not? The way to heaven is is Jesus. So, what is that message? What is that message? What is the gospel message? If Jesus is the way, what is the message? What's the message of the gospel? Here's a simple and clear message of the gospel. Jesus is the way to heaven, but here is the message of the gospel. Here we go. God is holy. God is holy. He is perfectly righteous, and sin cannot dwell in his presence. Isaiah, the prophet, saw a vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne, and he saw angels crying out as we sang earlier, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The, the, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. When you see holy, holy, holy in the scriptures, it is, it is three times to describe the perfection of God's holiness, the endlessness of his holiness. Our God is a holy God, a perfect God, a perfectly righteous God. No sin in him, no sin can dwell in his presence. He's holy. He's perfectly righteous. Leviticus 19.2 says this, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 says the same thing. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So God is holy. Well, what about us? This is who God is. 
What about us? Isaiah 53, 6 says this about us. All we, like sheep, have what? Gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. God is holy. God is righteous. He's other than us. He's a creator. But we have rebelled. We have gone our own way. We have turned everyone to his own way. All of us, every single one of us, have gone our own way. Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are some in our world today who believe that they're not a part of the all of us. They believe that they're basically good, and there's this idea that, 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 that there are levels of, of, of goodness and, and, and evil, different types of levels, and that, and, and that there's, different, there's a scale system to all of this. But the truth of the, of, of the Bible, the truth of the gospel, tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the, the standard of God's perfect holiness. Jesus said to his disciples, be ye perfect because my Father in heaven is perfect. The standard is perfection. We fall short. Paul also says in Ephesians about our natural state apart from regeneration. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children of wrath. But it means that we are by nature children of wrath. It means that, that naturally we are under the wrath of God because of Adam's sin. Because we were plunged into sin and a sinful nature. And, and apart from regeneration and salvation, we are under the wrath of God. We stand condemned because sinners cannot dwell in God's presence. And sin must be judged. Sin has to be judged. This is our condition apart from Christ. We were, we are, and if you are not a Christian, you are alienated from the life of God because of our sinful nature, and because of our willful rebellion against God. The wrath of God is upon us, and there remains, listen, there remains a chasm like the Grand Canyon. You ever thought maybe you'd want to try to run and jump over the Grand Canyon? Jump across the Grand Canyon? I don't recommend it. It is a chasm you cannot scale. And in that same way, the chasm that separates a holy God from sinful humanity is a chasm that we cannot scale. We cannot jump far enough, hard enough. We can't be athletic enough to get over that scale, to get over that chasm. It is an infinite chasm. And humanity, since the beginning, has tried to bridge the gap on their own. Have they not? That's our natural tendency. We're, we, in it, this is our natural state. We are ladder climbers. Just like the Tower of Babel, we're going to build a tower to get up to God. We're going to do it on our own. We are going to become like God. We're going to take our life into our hands, and we're going to make things right. There's an article in the 90s that they interviewed Ted Turner when he used to own CNN and the Atlanta Braves. And Ted Turner said this, quote, I believe this life is all we have. When you look in the mirror in the morning and you're putting on your lipstick or you're shaving, you're looking at the Savior. Nobody else is going to save you but yourself. And that's true from that perspective. And this is what we like to take. We like to take our righteousness into our own hands. We like the power. Sometimes the gospel of grace is too good to be true and, and we think, well, we've got to make up for it, right? Right? We believe that if we work hard enough, we can fix our sin problem. The pr problem is, is that we like to grade on a scale, don't we? We like to grade on a scale. 
like to look over at the fence at our neighbor and say, well, we're not as bad as they are. It's kind of like the, the, the tax collector and, 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 the, and, and the priest who went, the parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. And what did the priest say, the Pharisees say about the tax collector at church? I thank God that I'm not like him. I thank God that I, I tithe. I tithe on everything, even my, my spices. I, I, I give to the poor. I, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not like this tax collector and this sinner. And this is what humanity does. We, we grade ourselves on the wrong standard. We grade ourselves on other people's mistakes. But the standard is not other people's mistakes. The standard is God's perfect holiness and God's perfect righteousness. And every single one of us, we fall and we fail every single time. All of us. We all fall short. Or said another way, Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. So what's the solution to the problem? What's the solution? Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We, we don't know where you're going. What's the solution? Jesus looked at Thomas, and in essence, what he's saying is, Thomas, I am the solution. I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the bridge. I bridge the chasm. I'm the one who goes between the Father God, holy God, and sinful man. I am the way. Jesus is the bridge. Through his perfect righteousness, we can be reconciled to God. He carries us over the chasm. He brings us back to the Father. It's His work completely, totally, 100%, all His work. He's the bridge. His perfect righteousness, listen, and His perfect obedience, they come together in the cross. His perfect righteousness and His perfect obedience, they come together in the cross where Jesus became our substitute. His substitutionary work on the cross, when he died for my sin and he died for our sin, he took the punishment that we deserved and his perfect righteousness and his perfect obedience culminates in in the way back to relationship with God. And it's all by faith. It's all by faith. By faith alone in Christ alone. We can be forgiven. We can be reconciled. We can be cleansed. Or as Paul said at 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He knew no sin, perfect righteousness, and then perfect obedience so that in him we might become the righteousness of who? Of God, Ted Turner, is it your righteousness? Are you the Savior? No. You need somebody else's righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. He made him to be no sin who knew no sin so that in him, in his perfect obedience, because of his perfect obedience, we can be declared righteous by faith. Amen? I love what Pastor Matt Carter says. He says this, religion is any system that teaches we have the ability to save ourselves. The gospel teaches we are completely unable to save ourselves. Religion says, look inside yourself for salvation. The gospel says the only hope for salvation is outside of yourself. 
The only hope for salvation is outside of ourselves. That's the gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus is the way. This is what he's saying to Thomas. He's saying, you are confused about where I'm going. I told you earlier I'm going to heaven. But just in case you're confused, you'll, you'll figure this out later. But I'm the way. I'm the way to heaven. I'm the only way. Jesus is a way to reconciliation with the Father. Secondly, Jesus is the truth that every soul longs for. Jesus is the truth that every soul longs for. He's the way to reconciliation with the Father, and he is the truth. Jesus answers Thomas. He says, you know the way, Thomas. You're, you're looking at him. I'm the way. Plug me into your GPS. I'm the way to the place I am preparing. Next, Jesus continues his I am statement. He says, I am the truth. I'm the truth. Truth. It's a strange word today, is it not? The word truth. Do we, do we believe in truth anymore? Do we believe in absolute, fixed truth anymore in our world? Is that possible today? It seems very difficult today to believe in truth, but truth. It's what every soul looks for, what every soul longs for in a, in a fake news world. In a society that seemingly lost grip on basic realities, Jesus still stands alone as the one declaring that he is truth. And he makes a bold statement here. He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. It's kind of like in a, in a, in a few hours, he's going to stand before Pilate in, his, in this mock trial. He's going to be interviewed by Pilate and listen to what him and Pilate are going to talk about John 18, verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. And Pilate, I don't know how he did it. I, I, I don't know what his posture was. But I just see him leaning in and looking at Jesus and saying, what is truth? And we need to stop and think about that for a moment. The one who declares he is the way and the truth. Pilate looked at the truth, the, the personification of truth. He looked at him and he asked the question and the answer was right in front of him. He said, what is truth? And in essence, this is the picture of our world today. This is the picture of humanity from the beginning of time. It's truth stares them in the face. They look at truth and they turn away from truth. They turn away from the reality of God and who he is. Creation declares, Romans 1 says, men are without excuse. Truth is everywhere. In creation, we can know there is a God and and we can know that his son is Jesus, and we can know that he is the way, and we can know that he is the life. But we will look at truth in the face like Pilate, and we will turn away, and we'll go our own way. I love what John 1, 1 says. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh. So, so this is the picture that Christ is the truth. He is the truth made flesh. He is the eternal Word of truth. And in reality, you could say that everything that we know, everything that we know to be true about our existence has its foundation in Christ. It says, it says, it says in John that there was nothing that was made that was 
made apart from Christ. So it can truly be said that everything that is true, we know to be true about our existence, has its foundation in Christ. Science, math, biology, medicine, morality, ethics, laws, justice, eternity, salvation. Every sphere of our existence, can ha- it has its foundation in the truth, the embodiment of truth, the creator of truth, the creator of the universe has its foundation in Christ. And Pilate looked at him and said, what is truth? You see, you see that, right? How sad that is. The age-old struggle in our human experience is that the pinnacle of God's creation, just like Pilate, have continually tried to make sense of life apart from a fixed foundation of truth. Ever since creation, Humanity has tried to make sense of this life apart from a fixed foundation of truth. From apart from a fixed foundation of truth. And we are continually reaping the consequences of this rebellion. Fixed truth is what orders a society. Fixed truth, fixed absolute truths are what order a society. Think about just apart from the society, think about creation itself. The fact that right now we are breathing air and oxygen right now. The fact that everything is perfectly fine-tuned to sustain human life. God's doing that right now. Everything is balanced, and there's fixed laws of nature. Those are God's laws. And the same is true for a society. Societies will rise and fall based upon whether they embrace fixed truths of God or they reject them. Fixed truths are what order a society. Listen, a disordered society is the result of throwing off fixed points of truth. And in our postmodern, truth is relative culture, absolute truth stares us in the face like truth was staring Pilate in the face, and we ignore it, and we create our own standard, don't we? I mean, look around. Look at the new standards, right? Biological sex. We're confused about what that is. What's a male? What's a female? Truth staring us in the face. We can look in the mirror every day and we can know who God made us biologically. We don't have to be confused. But we stare at God in his creation. We stare at the pinnacle of his creation ourselves and we will deny truth. I just want you to know truth wins out all the time. Truth wins out all the time. So we, did, we, did, we deny biological sex. The rights of the unborn. Truth, the, the truth of the viability of a life in the mother's womb should be one of the most basic realities that, that no one should be able to ignore. Because every single one of us were in that position. If you are breathing air right now, you were a viable living being inside of your mother's womb. And it is the height of pride and arrogance that, that any one of us, any human being that is alive today, could say that someone else's life inside the womb is less valuable than them. It's it's fixed truth. No matter the reason why conception happened, it's a fixed truth that never changes. Disordered sexuality. See that in our world. Marriage and family structures. People just ignore fixed truths. Truth is what holds a society together. It is the glue that prevents us from destroying ourselves. Listen, and Jesus 
is the center of truth because he is truth. This is what it means when Jesus says, I'm the way. This is what it means when he says, I am the truth. I am the fixed point of truth. And as creator, he gets to define. He gets to define what is right and good and true. Amen? I love what Colossians 3 says about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before things and in him all things, what? Hold together. He holds us all together. He is the fixed point of truth. Amen? We don't know where you're going, Jesus. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? Jesus says, Jesus says, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the way. And I am the truth. And thirdly, what else do we see? Jesus is the life that the world cannot give. He is the way to reconciliation with the Father. He is the truth that every heart and soul longs for. And he is the life that the world cannot give. Look back to the text. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. The life. What does it mean that Jesus is the life? I think two realities spring forth from this declaration by Jesus when he says he is the life. I am the life. The first reality is this. Jesus is the way to eternal life later. He's the way to eternal life later. I am the life. I am the way to eternal life later. Jesus is the way to eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. And he alone can give eternal life. He is eternal life. And he is the only way, he's the only one who can give eternal life. That word life here, when Jesus says, I am the life, it's the, it's the word zoe. Zoe life, it's the life of God. He's the only one that can give zoe life, eternal life, the life of God, zoe life. He is zoe life. He's the only one who can give the life of God. This is, I mean, that's, it's the, sim- that's the simple message. He is the way to eternal life later. And then secondly, I think the other reality that Jesus is saying when he says, I am the life, is this. Jesus is the way to eternal life now. He's the way to eternal life now. Eternity starts now. It starts in the the moment you confess Christ as your Savior. Eternal life begins now. Amen? I love love this article. It's a a ligonier.org article speaking to what I'm saying here. It says, if I am a cosmic accident springing from the dust and destined for more dust, then I am nothing. I am but a joke, a tale told by an idiot. But if my ultimate roots are grounded in eternity and my destiny is anchored in that same eternity, then I know something of who I am. I know I am a creature of eternal significance. If that's so, then my life counts. What I do today counts forever. Eternal life in Christ begins now. Amen? And we begin this process of becoming more like Christ each and every day, submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the sanctifying work of the Word. Amen? Amen. Our Christian assertion is this, is that there is more to our lives than now, and that if there is not, then even the now is meaningless. But we don't believe that. There is more to our life later through faith in Christ. He is eternal life later But because he is eternal life later, we are found in him, then eternal life begins now. And here's the truth. 
The world cannot give that kind of life. It can't give eternal life later, and it can't give eternal life now. It cannot give life the way Christ can give life. The world cannot give life. Everything the world has to offer is but a temporary experience that is what? Is passing away. It is but a temporary experience that is passing away. The Ted Turner philosophy wouldn't find its roots in 1 John 2. Look at 1 John 2. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is what? Passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this Ted Turner philosophy tells us that this life is all we have. So so suck everything out of this life while you have it. Drink deeply of what the world has to offer. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. I'll offer eternal life later, and I, I, I say that eternal life that you will experience later, you can begin to experience it now. But the world says, hey, come and try our life. Come and try the way that we say you should do life. Suck everything out of temporary pleasures and satisfactions and enjoyments and, and, and make that the pinnacle of your existence. Well, you know, long before Ted Turner looked at himself in the mirror and said, you're the Savior, one of the king's most famous kings of Israel, he tried Ted Turner's method. Do you remember Solomon? Solomon sucked everything out of life. And he came to some conclusions in Ecclesiastes. Look at Ecclesiastes 2. Solomon said, I said to myself, come on, come on. He's looking himself in the mirror. Just picture this, right? Come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything any man could desire. What a statement. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless like chasing the wind there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere you see the contrast jesus says i am the way to true life eternal life and true life now and the world is constantly barking into our ears through all kind of forms of media to do it solomon's way to do it solomon's way Go for pleasure. Go for experience. Go, go for big houses and big bank accounts. Go for that. Go that route to find life and find peace. But Christ stands over all of his creation and he declares, he says, I am life. It's through me. I am life. He offers a life the world cannot offer. Listen, because the life that Jesus is and offers does not have its roots in what is temporary or earthly. 
I'm the way. Thomas says, we don't know the way, Jesus. We are confused by what you're saying. We're confused. Jesus says, don't be confused, Thomas. Don't, don't be confused. Let, let me make it plain for you, Jesus says. Let me make it plain for you. You don't know the way? You don't know the way, Thomas? I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then fourthly, in conclusion, Jesus stands alone as the only way to heaven. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then Jesus stands alone as the only way to heaven. Look back to the text. It says it right there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Most people outside of Christianity, many people outside of Christianity would like to change Jesus' words here to say, I am a way, I am a truth, and I'm, I'm a life. I really lived. Listen, but the second half of verse 6 dispels any confusion that people might have about Jesus' claims. When he says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's not saying he is but one of many ways, one of many truths, and one of many ways to find life. When he says, no one comes to the Father but through me, except through me, he makes it abundantly clear that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and the only way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. What a shocking statement to these men. Think about the room that Jesus is saying this to, saying it to Jewish men. What he's telling these Jewish men who have placed their faith in the reality of observance of Torah, of the law, that was their way to the Father. He's looking at them. He's saying, I'm the way. The law and the prophets, they pointed to me. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm the way that you're going to get there. I am the way that you're going to get there. It's not through Torah observance. It's not through what we talked about earlier. It's not through good works or self-effort. It's through me. It's through me. Listen, and to make Christianity anything less than what Jesus did is to not believe in Christ at all. So to make Christianity anything less than what Jesus made it out to be is to not believe in Christ at all. To not believe in Christ at all. So the question is, is, is do we believe? So it's a good question for us to ponder. Looking at this text, this is, this is the most profound. I, that, that was not overstatement. That was not for drama purposes at the beginning of my sermon. I, I believe this. This is the most profound statement, the most profound truth that anybody can come to hear and to believe. That Jesus is a way, truth, and life, and he's the only way to the Father. So the question is, is do we believe, do, do, do we in the church here in Shriver, Louisiana, do we believe in the exclusivity of Christianity? Do we believe in that today? Or have we capitulated because of pressure from a pluralistic society? Right? Do we actually believe that? Or said a different way, as Bible-believing Christians, are we as Christian as Jesus? Or have we gone along with a new version of Christianity that is less offensive? 
My brothers and sisters, this exclusive message is offensive. I mean, think about telling this to your coworker. Think about telling this on Fox News. Even on Fox News, think about telling this on Fox News. Jesus is the only way. They'd cut you off. Commercial break. Let's look at another vitamin commercial. Or my pillow. They cut you off because even the conservative networks, no matter how conservative, pluralism finds its way to get into its tentacles into everything. I love what R.C. Sproul says here. Listen to this. I, I, I really can't think of anything more antithetical to biblical Christianity than the idea that it doesn't matter what you believe. And yet it has been inculcated in us from the time we were in kindergarten. Listen, this is so insightful what he says here. Quote, I think it is because here in the United States, all religions are equally tolerated under the law. So we make a gratuitous leap from equality under the law to equal validity before God. Did you catch that? And I think he's absolutely right. We live in the United States, and so we believe, and rightly so, that all religions have equal value under the law, equal protection under the law. And one generation after the next generation after the next generation, one kids growing up in this pluralistic society eventually believes that not only are all religions equal under the law, but all religions are equal under God. So it doesn't matter what you believe. Believe in whatever, whoever, believe in yourself. Be like Ted Turner, look in the mirror and say, I am the Savior. Because that's America, your way. Do it the way you think is best. All roads lead to the same destination. The exclusivity of the gospel, and here's what's so powerful about the exclusivity of the gospel, and this is, and, and, and this is what I'm driving at here. If we are Christians, this is what we believe in. So that, that, that's, that's the point I'm making here, is that as Christians, we can't, we can't, we can't capitulate, we can't shift and, and begin to believe the way the world believes about all religions. This is what it means to be a Christian, that we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one goes to the Father but through him. And if we don't believe that, then we're not Christian. We're something else. We're religious, but we're not Christian. What's so powerful about the exclusivity of the gospel is that the exclusivity of the gospel message is what has driven worldwide evangelism since the birth of the church. It is the reason why the early apostles, every single one of them died for their faith. It's why early Christian saints were brutally martyred under Nero in Rome in the Roman Empire because of their belief in the exclusivity of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our belief in Christ is the only way has flowed down to us on a trail of blood, the blood of the martyrs. And so that message, the exclusivity of the gospel, is our message. It's a message we are bold about. It's a message we proclaim because if the implication, because it's because the implications of that message, if they're true and we know they're true, and the opposite of, of belief in people's lives in Christ has eternal implications. 
Acts 4.12 says this, there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's what the apostles believed. Acts chapter 4. Jesus said it earlier before he was crucified and buried and resurrected, but the apostles preached that message. They preached the exclusivity of salvation through Christ. There is no other name under heaven. So Jesus stands alone as the only way to heaven. And this is the core of the Christian message. It it is really why we're here today. Instead of not worshiping, you're here today worshiping. Why? Because you believe that Jesus is the way. Amen. It's why we're here worshiping. Or it's why we're, we're not somewhere else worshiping any number of false gods. Because we believe Jesus is the only God. The exclusivity of the gospel is what is the foundation of the urgency of our message. Because we believe in heaven and we believe in hell and eternal punishment for those who reject Jesus as the only way. It's the urgency of our message. The exclusivity of the gospel is why the message is a stumbling block for people. It's because in a world that prides itself in the power to control their own destiny, I'll choose my own way, I do it my way, the exclusivity of the gospel is why some will not believe. Look at Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Exclusivity is narrow. One way. The broad road is any way, every way, your way. And many go that way. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. I am the way, the truth, and the And the life, the gate is narrow, and the way, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are, are few. A couple questions to ponder. Why is the way to destruction easy to take? Why is it easy to take? Because it doesn't ask anything of you, and it celebrates the worship of self. That's why the way to destruction is easy to take because it doesn't ask anything of you because you're God and it elevates the worship of self. Why is the path that leads to life hard to take? Here's why. Because it calls for complete surrender and death to self and it requires that we worship Christ alone. That's why it's hard to take. It's a call of death to self. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the path, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. Come follow me. If you would come after me and follow the way, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The the hard way, the way of Christ, the unpopular way, asks something of us. It says, deny yourself. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Christ. Follow him. Take up your cross and follow him. So, so I, end with, I end with a couple of questions. So, so what about you today? What about you today? As you've seen, have you seen what Jesus has said here, the most profound statement that has ever been said? I believe, because of his, because of his implications, what do, you, what do you believe 
about Jesus. Do you believe? It doesn't take an advanced degree to figure it out. You don't have to go to seminary, get a master's or a doctorate to figure this out. This is not that complicated. Very intelligent people throughout history have overcomplicated it. Scientists and biologists have sought to explain Jesus away through their field of study. But Jesus stands as Lord over everything that can be studied. And he calls out and says, I am the way. The only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father, to heaven, except through me. So do you believe that? Do you believe it? Here's another question. Have you been subtly influenced to reject Jesus and replace him with something more reasonable and less offensive? Have you been subtly influenced to reject Jesus and replace him with something more reasonable, less offensive? Ah, Look, cultural Christianity is much easier. It really is just an easier way to live this life. You have more friends. You go to more parties. You know, you can, you know, it's less hard conversations. It would be an easier way to live life. But in the end, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his, his soul, Jesus said. So the offer still stands today. I've asked the questions, I've preached the message, the offer stands today. The message is simple and clear that even a child, maybe some children here today, you're hearing the gospel message today. No matter how young or how old you are, what your background is or where you come from or what you've believed in the past, maybe you realize today, I've just, I, I have believed in, a, in religion. Maybe you just religion and not Christ. Maybe you're here today and you realize, man, I have been influenced by a pluralistic every road leads to heaven mindset, and and I want to repent today. Place my faith in Christ alone for salvation. Maybe some of you here today, you've been placing your faith in your good works, your penance, the sacraments, and placing your faith in all those things to keep you in heaven, to get you to heaven. But the offer stands today. The message is simple and clear, Romans 10. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. It means it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, or what you've done. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches, listen, on all who call on him. For everyone, everyone who calls on him, on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. That's the message. Amen.